Hello, and welcome back to the Musonomics Podcast. I'm Larry Miller. Apple's long-awaited music streaming service, Apple Music, is set for launch. And this episode is all about Apple, music, and Apple Music. What to expect, and what Apple Music means for the rest of the music industry. But first, we want to take a look back at Apple's history with the music industry. And a lot of it started with this song, Take California by the band Propellerheads. Take California was featured in the very first iPod commercial in 2001. The commercial opens with a man sitting at his computer. The man at the computer clicks play, and that funky bass line enters. As the man at the computer bobs his head in rhythm, he uses iTunes to move the song onto his iPod. He then unplugs his iPod, pauses the computer, puts his headphones in, and presses play on the iPod. After dancing around his apartment for a few seconds, he dances toward the door and heads out. iPod. A thousand songs in your pocket. It may seem commonplace or even antiquated to us now. But 14 years ago, the very idea of digital music was still very foreign to most listeners. But the first iPod ad showcased something more than the fact that music could now be liberated from CDs. It previewed the Apple ecosystem. Up until that point, music and computers were not interoperable. The music industry had conducted lots of responsible experiments, in the wake of the launch of Napster in 1999 and the adoption of the idea by millions that music could be free. iTunes held your music on the computer. iPod, like the ad said, put that music in your pocket. The task for Apple, then, was to convince everyone that this new way of interacting with your music was not only practical, but fun and easy. In 2003, Apple began running the ads that would cement the company's association with music consumption, the Silhouette ads. The ads featured black silhouettes dancing to upbeat songs like Jets, Are You Gonna Be My Girl, The Caesars, Jerk It Out, or The Vines, Ride. Not only did the ads make the songs into hits, it made the iPod a hit as well. The Silhouette ads were a huge success, and along with those signature white earbuds, helped to make Apple synonymous with enjoyable, cool, easy music consumption for everyone. iTunes helped establish downloads as a music consumption model. And with the addition of the iPhone to that ecosystem, Apple's stock skyrocketed. Apple stock is up almost 600% plus dividends since the introduction of the iPod. Steady growth made iTunes the largest music retail account in the U.S. by 2008 and the largest in the global music business by 2010. By 2013, Apple sold its 25 billionth song. But the Internet is full of surprises, and Steve Jobs' sentiment that people wanted to own music rather than rent it saw one of its biggest challengers come into focus in 2009. That challenger, of course, was Spotify. And by earlier this month, 
Spotify had accrued 20 million paid subscribers and 75 million active users. Spotify wasn't the first fully interactive music streaming service. Those bragging rights belong to Rhapsody. But Spotify is the world's best-known streaming music service. Well, we've really seen the emergence of the various streaming formats as a major player as part of the U.S. music market in a way we've never seen before. That's Josh Friedlander of the Recording Industry Association of America, the RIAA. Looking at the end of 2014, we saw that the market had grown to about a mix of around a third, a third, a third split between streaming services, uh, paid digital downloads, and physical sales. Now, that streaming part is up from just 7% five years ago and actually finished 2014 at 27%, which was $1.9 billion. So already a really a major player in the market. In fact, the streaming services for the first time were actually bigger than CD sales last year. So the market is shifting. Paid subscriptions went from 3% of the market to a little over 11% in 2014, reaching just under $800 million. iTunes download sales declined for the first time after a decade of unprecedented growth. When we've looked at the consumer behavior, we, we have seen this decline, but it hasn't necessarily been across the board. It's also the case that we have a lot of consumers who are actually doing a lot of different behaviors. So we can't really draw a one-to-one comparison between one person stopping doing one thing and starting doing another. We have seen that decline in the digital downloads, but I think it's also interesting to see that the amount that the streaming market has increased, and this is looking across the board of the streaming market, so not just paid subscriptions, but also if we look at internet radio services uh, and the ad-supported services like YouTube or the free version of Spotify, the increase that we've seen in dollars to the industry from those streaming services has actually more than offset the decline in digital downloads. Which means that streaming has grown into the type of business that Apple simply must have a hand in if it wants to continue its prosperous relationship with music. Apple doesn't view music streaming as a standalone profit-making opportunity, as the freestanding services like Spotify must. Music helps Apple sell devices like iPhones. Over the last four quarters, Apple has sold over 50 million iPhones per quarter. According to Morgan Stanley, Apple's average revenue per iPhone is $668 and generates a gross margin of 46.7%, or $312 per iPhone. From October to December, Apple sold 34,000 iPhones an hour and generated $18 billion profit in the quarter and became the most profitable company in history. So. Apple needs music, and music needs Apple. After much speculation, soothsaying, and the 2014 acquisition of Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine's Beats Electronics, along with its nascent music service for $3 billion, Apple finally announced plans for a streaming service on June 8th at the Worldwide Developers Conference. We do have one more thing. Today we're announcing Apple Music, the next chapter in music, and I know you are going to love it. Apple Music, when it launches, will feature a streaming service, a radio service, a social music service, and a place for the music you already own, all bundled into one user-friendly app 
complete with a three-month free trial before the $9.99 monthly fee kicks in, and no ongoing free ad-supported tier like the one used by the vast majority of Spotify subscribers. According to Josh Friedlander at the RIAA, the Apple Music launch could mean good things for the entire streaming industry. One of the things about these services is that so far they've grown largely by word of mouth. So a big launch like this from Apple really helps draw attention and drive awareness of these services. And hopefully that awareness will translate into usage and then into more successful businesses that will continue to drive the industry. Our belief is that this is really uh, the more the merrier kind of situation. We don't think there's a one-size-fits-all solution for all different fans. We think different services will have different offerings, will have uh, different price points, and fans will pick one or the other or maybe a mix of different types of services. And in the end, they're the ones who are going to benefit. But now that Apple Music is here, what are the biggest hurdles it still has to make? And what are the risks that Apple Music faces? Many of those questions, as they do for all streaming services, revolve around how much the service will pay in royalties to artists and labels. Apple is planning to pay a bit more for its music than Spotify. 71.5% of revenue from Apple in the U.S., versus around 70% for Spotify. But bundled into that launch announcement was one detail that didn't go over so smoothly, that artists and rights holders would not be paid royalties during the three-month free trial period. It was disappointing for an innovative company like Apple. That's artist manager Emily White. She manages Fox Stevenson, Gold Motel, and The Autumn Defense. On one hand, you can't really come out right now, especially with how frustrated people are with streaming and say, we're not going to pay for 90 days. Now, what's interesting about that is all streaming platforms do that. So unfortunately, Apple really got a lot of flack for something everyone else was doing. But that should have been an opportunity for them to do something different and pay content creators. The independent labels balked. One of the first voices to speak up with a question or two about Apple Music was Martin Mills, owner of The Beggars Group. Adele, Arcade Fire, and Radiohead are signed to The Beggars Group of labels. Mr. Mills let Apple know that paying zero royalties for three months was unacceptable for Apple, which has about $180 billion in cash and short-term notes on its balance sheet. Then, the ever-present Taylor Swift penned an open letter to Apple condemning the company's decision. She ended the letter with a firm charge for Apple's decision-makers. Please don't ask us to provide you with our music for no compensation. Apple's the most valuable company in the world, so they should know better. Obviously, if they're going to try to use countless people's content for free, they're going to get pushback on that because they have so much money. So Apple sent Senior VP of Software and Services, Eddie Q, into the Twitter sphere to announce the reversal of their much-maligned policy, quickly changing their tune, and offered rights holders 0.2 cents per stream during the free trial. 
My feelings were I thought it was interesting that it was Eddie Q and not necessarily someone at Apple with a music industry background. So as much as they need, you know, music industry experts, I think that technologists also know fans and they know users probably better than traditional music industry people. You know, I actually disagreed with Taylor's previous statements because, you know, she was saying free, free. I don't want my art to be given away for free, but it's not free. It's ad supported. This time she was dead on. So it was great that she stood up, but I want to give uh, a lot of credit to Martin Mills and Beggar's Group as well. I think that's getting a little lost in the, oh, Taylor saving the world story. No matter who deserves most of the credit for changing Apple's mind, the fact that their mind was changeable and quick to react could mean a lot for how the industry negotiates moving forward. I would say, as far as artists are concerned, watch out in a good way because they are getting very vocal. You know, I've seen statements from James Taylor saying uh, it needs to be 50-50 as far as royalties go. Billy Corgan was on CNBC this week talking about streaming, and I think artists are getting really vocal and really informed. At the same time, the way we build strategies is always direct-to-fan first. We definitely want our music everywhere that it can be legally available, but we also really, really want to know who the fans are. So cultivating that relationship is first and foremost for us, as well as not missing any other fan that's hanging out on Spotify or Apple Music or Tidal or anywhere else. So Apple Music has cleared its first PR hurdle, but as it enters the streaming business, how will it fare? And what might we want to look out for? Toolshed is a digital marketing agency that works with independent labels. Here's Dick Huey, the founder, on leading performance metrics. There'll be two sets of numbers that'll be interesting. The first one will be the number of people that subscribe once the service launches. And the next interesting number will be the number of people who are still subscribed when their credit card first gets charged. The third set will be a month after that when people who didn't realize their credit card was going to be charged unsubscribe. So there's going to be three numbers to look at. And depending on how many people stick in, we'll find out how much resiliency there is inside the potential audience. So without a free ad-supported tier, Apple may struggle to hold on to customers after the free trial. I personally think the free ad-supported tier is important. And I think the evidence... The evidence is in the growth of Spotify subscription numbers. I don't think those are just being driven by people who have chosen to subscribe. I think if you looked at their statistics, you would see this as well. Apple has a unique ecosystem, and that unique ecosystem will give them an advantage when they try to sign people up that Spotify doesn't necessarily have and already own, perhaps, and some of the others don't necessarily have. So it is going to make a difference for them. Whether or not it will eclipse the conversion advantage that someone like Spotify will have from graduating people from an ad-based service to a subscription-based service, I don't know. We'll have to find out. We caught up with Russ Krupnik of Music Watch at the New Music Seminar, and he put it this way. On one hand, Apple is going to have the same issue that everyone who came before them, which is over half the people who are streaming for free right now say... I don't have any interest in paying. There's nothing that can, could convince me to pay. I'll just leave it. I think they have an opportunity to, to sh- add some healthy growth to the category. Whether or not they can translate that to more paid subscribers, we're at about 10 million now, including Pandora and, and, and Spotify, uh, Audio and Rhapsody and so on. Um, you know, 
I wouldn't say overnight they're going to grow that to 20 million, but I think that they can be a contributor to, to some, some healthy growth on the paid side as well. Listening to The World is Crowded by Unknown Mortal Orchestra. And indeed, the world is crowded. There are three billion people on the internet, and Apple has direct billing relationships with 800 million of them. Apple, with all its resources, may be able to push streaming from early adoption to the mass market. Moreover, rather than worry about cannibalizing Spotify and the others, they'll potentially convert 100 million or many more new users. Spotify has 75 million users after six years, of which only 20 million are paying. David Packman is a partner at Venrock, was CEO of early digital music retailer eMusic and co-founder of Apple's Computer Music Group. So, David, what were your thoughts on the Apple Music announcement back at the beginning of June? Well, I, I think first the surprise more than anything was how long it took Apple to get into streaming music. I mean, Spotify has been around for and popular for more than five years. Uh, their growth has been well understood, and the, the decline in the sale of downloads has been evident in the numbers for years. So the fact that it took Apple this long to be a meaningful player in subscription streaming, I think, is, is really the surprise. But now they're here at long last. Um, which I think is a good thing. You know, Apple's just probably the best marketer on the planet, and streaming music, subscription streaming music, really hasn't been marketed to the mainstream. I mean, there's you know 60 million people around the world on Spotify, but that's of, of the three billion on the internet, right? It's a it's a drop in the bucket. So now there's going to be a whole lot of people who really know about paid streaming uh, subscription services, and I think we will find out whether this really is a business, or at least whether there really is demand. Um, you know, only 4 million, I think, of Spotify's uh, 20 million paying customers are in the U.S. It's not a big market today, so we're about to find out whether it really is one, and um, I think that's what I'm most interested in watching. So, possibly a big inflection point right now. We're going to find out whether this is really a business and whether Apple can really push it into the mainstream. Yes, in fact, we should not lose sight of the fact that there are others who offer a service like this. Google effectively has a service like this, and Amazon has some streaming music components. But now with you know, three of the four Internet horsemen in streaming music, this is it, in my mind. Like This is the last chance for us to see whether there is a streaming paid business possible. If this doesn't work, and what I mean by work is 50 million or 100 million people paying to use it, something really large, then there is no business. There is no business around paid streaming. Would you think 50 or 100 million people subscribing to Apple Music would move the needle, or is that still a rounding error for them? So none of this matters for Apple's business. The entire global streaming paid market is 5 billion today, 3 billion, so 3 to 7 billion, something there. If Apple had 100% market share of it, it wouldn't even need to disclose it in its financial statement. And certainly, we, we know it's also not a profitable business for anyone, so it will provide no net income for Apple and no meaningful revenue bump. And so the big kerfuffle over this past week about the non-payment of royalties during the free trial period was really a non-event in terms of Apple's ability to pay. Yeah, right. So you're saying the fact that they gave really economically will have no impact on them, that's for sure. You know, I think this was really more, as you know, 
from the free goods legacy is where I think this came from. There has been an exclusion for free goods in the music business for a long time, allowing for giveaways of music to help people come in and buy more music. This has been around for a while, this notion of like, hey, we won't pay on the free goods we use to market. I don't think it was malicious intent on Apple's behalf. It's just been the way contracts have been structured. And, you know, the fact that Taylor Swift went went very public around it, you know, put them in a situation where they didn't want another U2-like fiasco, and this was an easy give, I think, yeah. Any other thoughts on Taylor Swift's note and Apple's rather speedy response? I think it was savvy of them, actually, to respond on a Sunday super quickly on Twitter, right? I mean, this is exactly how modern business should be conducted. I think people were remarking that a major content deal had just been conducted over Tumblr and Twitter, but that's not a surprise to me. That's the way business should move in the social and real-time web worlds that we've been living in for five or six years. So I think it was great. It would never have happened under Steve Jobs that way. That EQ wouldn't have had the authority, actually, to move like that as quickly as he did. So I think it was fantastic, and I think it's no sweat off Apple's back. Right. Uh, I loved Elvis Costello's comment on Taylor. We welcome our new president. Yes, indeed. And in fact, I heard somebody on the radio this week saying that the only thing that will save Tom Brady from an NFL suspension is a tweet from Taylor Swift. But what does this say, if anything, in your mind about the relationship between artists, especially superstar artists, and the gigantic digital music services and the four horsemen of the internet. I think it's important to remember, you know this entirely true, but there really are a few different levels of the music business. The music business is different from the entertainment business. The entertainment business are mega superstar celebrities. The Taylor Swifts, the Jay-Zs, their celebrity itself is an enterprise, massive, much bigger than just their music. Then there's everyone else in music, the other millions of participants in the ecosystem, none of whom have any celebrity to trade on, really, and are trading only on their music, which is an enormously difficult business these days. She's in the first category. There's very few who are in that category. In fact, I think that's what the major record labels, that's the business they're in. They're in the entertainment business. They're in the international celebrity business, maximizing revenue streams across all sorts of different products. The music business, I think, is in a much different place. So she's speaking, in my mind, for the entertainment business, the celebrity business, and that's a very powerful place still in this world, and you have to respond to that. But everyone else doesn't get a a courtesy of a response from Apple. I think it's wonderful, honestly, that there are companies that respond positively to artistry. Apple has always done that from my days there. Uh, it was Apple's pole position with the creative community that gives Apple permission to have conversations with artists. Hey, you use our products, so let's talk about some other opportunities. That's what really what was able to put Apple in the distribution of music business, which was a crazy idea for a computer company, right? Why should they be a a music retailer? We don't think of that crazy anymore, but that was a crazy idea. And I think it's because of their comfort with and attraction to the artistic community. It's just a part of Apple's brand. Apple knows this. It's in their DNA. They talk about that. Um, So I think it was a a nice give and take around that balance. The irony, of course, is what we're not talking about here is, is there a business to be built on this? And, you know, I've said for years... I think the price point of these services is what is their undoing. We know that at the peak of the music business in 1999, the average consumer spent 40 or $50 a year on music. Today, the average iTunes user spends under $20 a year on music. A year, 
$20 a year on music. Apple's launching a service at $120 a year, and, and that's Spotify's pricing too. And the question is, are there 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, or 100 million people that will pay $120 a year for music? And I don't believe there is. What do you think the right price is for subscription music services? I think the numbers tell us it's 20 to $40 a year. That's what people spend on music. The counter-argument is, but they should pay more for something that's so convenient. That's just not the way people think in a world where they're presented with so much choice and so many free alternatives. And, and the music industry's been terrible at competing on value. They've held prices largely the same or raised them over the last 15 years as everything else has declined in value. I heard that Apple attempted to convince the major music companies, the major rights holders in all of this, to offer the service at a lower price. Yes, it, this is not Apple's fault. I understand that they, too, believe that the, the service should be priced lower. Uh, they have the data to demonstrate that they don't think that people will pay this price, but they're unsuccessful at convincing the record companies. This has, in my opinion, been one of the long-term mistakes that, when I say the recorded music industry, I mean the record companies uh, have made by not lowering price. And it's not just a belief. At, you know, at eMusic, we tested this theory that music is elastic and that if you lower the price, more people buy it, or, they, or the same people buy more of it. We have empirical data that that was true. Uh, even Sony became a customer, a licensor of ours. They, li they licensed music to us because they saw the data that you lower the price and people buy more music. So uh, we know that some people in the recorded music business know that this is true, but as a group, they have never allowed any meaningful service to be launched in the subscription space for much less. And see, that's why I have this question. The question is how many people will pay? It's mostly the same repertoire of the same roughly 30 million Anglo-American tracks that are available on all of the fully interactive digital music services. How can Apple Music differentiate itself from the other services? I don't think it sounds to me any different or better than Spotify. I think Spotify is a fantastic service. Spotify has some network effects built into it in that there's a major social overlay and you follow others, not just artists, you follow other users and you develop social relationships with them online and those are powerful and gluey and I don't want, I will not switch from Spotify to something else because I would have to undo all these relationships online that I have. So I think there's virtually no one who will switch but Apple doesn't care. I think they're going after the other 2.9 billion people on the internet who haven't subscribed to a service. And this is an, I think this is more about their enormous marketing power and distribution power. They'll just put the app on 600 million devices. And we will see how many will convert from the three-month free trial into the paid service. Do you think that this is also a case where the rising tide lifts all boats? Maybe the entry of Apple into the streaming business will be good for the other services. Well, it certainly can't be bad for the industry because they should have net new additions, right? And as I said, I don't think they're going to steal a lot of other users away from other services. So it can only be good in getting more people. Yeah, it creates more awareness. Maybe people say, oh, that Spotify thing my friend's been telling me about, I now know about. I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on Spotify, of course. I think the real question here is, what are we expecting of Apple's success here? and how do we handicap their likelihood of getting there? And so I would, I would offer maybe a couple different parameters to judge how successful will they be. Like with the watch, those of us in VC land took notice of it and said, will this become a platform on which new businesses will be built in the same way that iOS became one? Well, here's one way of viewing that. Will they sell 10 million of them? Well, probably, yes. Will they sell 100 million of them? Well, I don't know. But if they can sell 100 million of them, it could be a platform. So there's some parameters for what drives platform success of the watch. So will they get 10 million paying subscribers for Apple Music? Yes. 
Will they get $100 million? I don't know, but I don't think so. Are we rooting for them? Absolutely. I mean, I think we're rooting for a music business that grows again. We haven't had one since 1998. That's David Pakman, a partner at Venrock. So will Apple Music customers stay past the three-month free trial? Will it be good enough to steal customers from the other services? And will Apple be able to convince the masses, who are not on another service yet, to pay to stream music? We'll have to wait and see. That's our show for this week. Thank you to our guests Josh Friedlander, Emily White, Dick Huey, Russ Krupnik, and David Pakman. If you like what you heard, please give us a maximum five stars on iTunes, tell your friends, and tell us at Musonomics.org. The Musonomics Podcast is a production of Musonomics, LLC, strategy consulting and analytics for and about the music industry. The Musonomics Podcast was produced at NYU by Sam Behrens and Avar Aiden. Special thanks to Ron Sadoff and Catherine Moore. Indeed, if Apple Music is a success, it could signal real growth in the music industry, and it's long overdue. If Apple Music succeeds, then just like this Jamie XX song, there's going to be good times ahead. From the NYU Steinhardt Music Business Program, I'm Larry Miller. Thanks for listening to Musonomics. Good times, there's gonna be some good times. Man, we used to pull up and let them.